Okay. Did I miss any blanks, Lee? Two, two, C. Um, yeah, identity. See, I had too many sheets of Bible references. If you saw me confused, I had four pages of text. I usually try to limit it to like at least at the most two, so I can tape them together. And by having to shift around, it was I lost my spot in a couple of places. Okay, so yes, two C. Identity. He's only beginning to broach it with the as to Christ, but in the next few verses, it becomes absolutely clear that's where he's going with it. And so I want to at least get that far and also try to give some implication of why I think it's important that we have at least some untainted category of slave and master. Otherwise, we're really not going to be able to accept that identity for us. Christ became a slave. You know, God is our... I mean, the early church understood that to confess Christ as Lord is, says something about your identity as well. Who have lords? Subjects. Slaves have lords. Um, employees don't have lords. Um, so that's, that's part, of, part of the reason why I think it's important to, to do that. Okay. Um, let's, let's go through this chunk by chunk. Questions relating to the Mosaic Law as it regulated slavery. Questions on that? Don, in the back. Um, I think, as I remember, the laws for slavery for other Hebrews was different for non-Hebrews. Yes. Could you kind of go into that a little bit? Sure. And was that not also temporary or was that I believe so there's a little bit of question there but I, the language of go, go, the language of Leviticus 25 the year of jubilee all the inhabitants of the land are set free that's the phrase and I, I would take that to include foreign slaves um, but it's not absolutely certain but you're right the, the laws there's two standards Israel however wasn't going out expanding its borders taking captives um, constantly, but if you if you were to obtain a, um, a foreign slave, they did not get released every six years, so that might be as long as fifty years, depending on the amount of time. Um, however, the still rights of their life for a life that notion is still in place, um, and not to um, rule over them ruthlessly um, as as the nations did. But yeah, there there are different standards for your countrymen. And for the goyim, for the nations, absolutely. And then the other thing is, there's something about um, marrying a slave. I'm not if, if you're a slave. Well, yeah. There's a lot and then, more. There's a lot kids, more. There's a lot kids. more. What's called casuistry. Uh, Exodus 21 is devoted to numerous specific instances um, and protections as well. If you married a slave and she displeased you, you have to set her free because you have shamed her. Like, so, and again, we've got to be careful here. In some cases, Mo, Jesus is clear. Moses doesn't bless divorce. He permit it, right? So he's, it's not saying, hey, it's totally cool if you want to just marry a slave and then send her away. When you do it, you set her free. It, it's, it's actually a guard against just completely shaming. Because this happens, this happens um, 
over in some Muslim countries, they'll set up a short marriage to a prostitute. They'll marry a prostitute for a weekend and then divorce her when they shockingly find out she's a prostitute. It's a neat way to get around things. And so the law is saying, look, you're not going to do that. If you marry her, and for whatever reason, you don't want to keep her as your wife, she's not your slave anymore. She's going well, free. Yeah. I was actually asking them oh. I, that slaves get, get married to other slaves yes. and have kids. Yes. And it seems like the Bible addresses that, but I don't remember exactly. Well, it's, right, well, it's right there in 21. It's the right before verse. the passage I read about why the slave might stay. Because if you provide a wife for your... So you, somebody comes to your slave for six years, and in that time, you provide a wife for him. He doesn't... And that, this wife was your, your slave. You didn't get... Well, just let's look at it in, in uh, Exodus 21. You had to decide if you were going to leave, whether you were going to leave her there or not. And so you, that may be one of the reasons why you wanted to stay. That's precise. Yeah, there's, there's all sorts of what I call casuistry, which is case law. There, there's numerous case law. I'm trying to hit the big the highlight points of it. I have not for a second hit every single law concerning slavery. Not, not even close. Um, but I'm trying to frame it out this morning. So in Exodus 21... There it is. Verse 2. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, if she bears sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be the masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master and my wife and my children, I will not go out free, then this master shall bring him to go, and it goes through there. So if you were signing up for six years of servitude, you'd want to consider very carefully whether or not you let your master provide a wife for you because there'd be implications. So that six years isn't necessarily the year of Jubilee? No. Remember, every seven years, so in Leviticus 25, every seven years the land gets a Sabbath rest. Okay? And in the Sabbath rest, you set all those slaves free. So it could even potentially be less time. Um, now, the Jubilee is every set of Sabbaths. Let's go to Leviticus 25. What's that? Um, reading rainbow? Don't take my word for it. Um, okay. That's as good as it gets going to get. And it won't get that good again. Well, Leviticus 25 starts with Sabbath years and then moves on to the year of Jubilee. So, Leviticus 25. The Lord said to Moses on the Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows. You shall reap. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes. Of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest in the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you and for yourself and for your male and female slaves, for your hired workers and your sojourners who live with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be of its food. So when he talks about working six years and the seventh year going free, that's the pattern we've lined up here. Then we get to you shall count seven 
weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall sound the trumpet through your land, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. Now, I think that would extend beyond than just the six years. In other words, we've just talked about the six year, so at the 50th. So even though for a foreigner it might be much longer, you're still not getting the perpetuity, your grandkids. And depending on the time, then it goes on to talk about how, depending on how close the year of Jubilee is, is how much you might sell or buy something for. Because the land goes back, you can't sell the land in perpetuity. You basically have a 50-year lease at most. And then it goes back to the clan and the household and the family that had it. Um, Okay, so I guess my question was, I'm hearing that is uh, if if the uh, slave gets his freedom after six years, but then he decides to stay because his wife yeah. and kids aren't released. I wonder why they aren't being released in this during the Sabbath. Right. Or, I think they potentially would. It, it depends how and what they are. If they're foreign, that might be different. Perhaps they've already put the all through their ear. You're just looking at his case. So it's, it's pr- only dealing with them incidentally as it relates to him. Yeah, I and forgot so, about the Dulos thing, yeah. Right, so, so I would say that you deal with her and her situation specifically just going through the law as well. I'd just plug her through, okay, what are the rules that apply to her? The primary point here is this guy doesn't get to leave with more than he came in with if his master provided it for him. That's, that's the, it's the protection for the master in that sense. And again, you'd consider long and hard whether or not you'd go try to find a wife for yourself or whether you'd let your, your master give you one if you understood, hey, um, you may leave in another three years. But she, So if her yeah. six years don't sync up with his, I, I don't know the specifics there. It's just making it point that even though you might normally think that's his wife, she goes where he goes, it, it's, it is a protection from being sort of a, taken advantage of in that sense. Yeah, and um, I didn't think yeah. about that, that the wife might have already done the, the all through all. Or she might, she might be a Moabitess or a foreigner, and so a different calendar and timetable is working for her. Yeah, okay. Um, you then, you, yes, up front here, and then we'll go over. Hello. Hello. Okay. Um, on the, that passage, there was it kind of seemed like a contradiction to me. Yes. Twenty-five, five said, "Do not reap what grows of itself, or harvest the grapes. The land is to have a year of rest, and then whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your main maids." I'll admit, I I didn't look through that. My thinking yeah. is. Probably the distinction's reaping as in taking any more than you need to eat this week or today. You're not taking in a harvest, you're selling, because clearly you're allowed to eat to your sustenance. Yeah. Okay. So I'd have to look, as I was looking at Leviticus 25, I didn't do a full exposition of it. My initial thinking would be reaping would mean totally taking in it all, bagging it up, boxing it up, having stuff to trade. No, 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 you're not doing that. But you are eating of it to survive. The Lord will make sure there's enough growing on it to feed you and your household and your animals. If anyone knows better on this, speak now. That gives an explanation. Uh, Yeah, 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 that'd be my understanding. Okay, Bennett? On Israel slavery. 
were talking about Mount Sinai. Um, I know in the Bible it said nobody were supposed to touch Mount Sinai. And his brother Aaron um, disobeyed his brother not to um, make like... Um, Bennett, I think you're confusing two or three things. Can we talk afterwards? Because I want to stick with the issue of Hebrew slavery. I'll talk, just ask me a question afterwards. Aaron makes a golden calf. His sons offer strange fire. They get burned. And the people not touching the mountains, Exodus 19. And it's only at the particular time when God is meeting with them coming down in the cloud. There you go. So it's not a permanent don't touch the mountain. It's while God comes down, don't touch the mountain. And Aaron does not, to my knowledge, touch the mountain in Exodus 9. But you can read, read Exodus 19. That's where it's covered. But I'd like to get back to slavery in Israel and moving on. Yes. Okay, back to the field thing. Yeah. I think, maybe, so like the garden, if you're not a good fall gardener, it'll kind of self-seed itself a little bit in the yeah, spring. Yeah. yeah. So I'm on the theory that maybe instead of contradicting itself, it's just the fields are self-seeding themselves because you're going to let it rest, and then you have enough to eat, but you don't have enough for anything else, basically. No, no, you're not sowing, and I think these would all be volunteers. That's what we call them. Um, the question is, can you harvest it or not? You're not do- whatever you're doing, you're not doing a full harvest. You're right, not just enough to workers. eat. And I think that the, the more I think about it, you're not gathering your workers together. Next week we're doing the harvest. You're going out and just getting the stuff you need for dinner tonight, tomorrow, next week. And, Right, you don't have those workers because it's. I mean, can you imagine every seven years you just get a Sabbath year? Crazy. Note to self. To... <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Linda. Okay. Just I don't know if this is helpful or not, but um, back to Exodus twenty-one two. Yeah. Um, it says it's he's to serve you for six years, but then my notes in Leviticus twenty-five say, um, uh, okay. And just as the land was to have a Sabbath year, so the servitude of a Hebrew slave was limited to six years. Apparently, whether or not the year he was freed was a Sabbath year, so they. Whether they come in in year four or whenever right. they come in, they serve right. six years through. Yeah. So it doesn't matter when, whenever they become that servant, yeah. that's when their six years start. So that's that's ho- likely. And I'll and I'll be honest, my study of these passages is mid level. I mean, what I mean by mid level is I don't have every contingency figured out. Yeah, there are some commentators that think you might. Because in Leviticus 25, it talks about how you factor in how soon the Jubilee is coming. So maybe the price that you get is dependent on how long you're to work. If there's only six months left, you know, you, you might be sent out with a little less than if you worked the full six years and got sent out. Um, so I'm not 100% on how every one of these cases is applied. Um, I've done fair amount of study on this, but yeah, that's possible. It would seem weird, otherwise you'd have all these different calendars running concurrently. Um, so I suspect that to be the case, which would mean right after that year of, of that seventh year would be when people would be looking for servants, um, and probably not so much towards the end, but I could be off on that. Okay. Um, Greg Sweet. 
I was just going to suggest that while you're making a note of personal jubilee coming up, that you recognize that the uh, the the way you sustain yourself during that is through volunteers that uh, come up. Uh, so Good just point, keep Greg. that in mind. Good point, Greg. Good point. Good point. Okay, I like it. Well played. Well played, sir. Well played. Okay. Um, who next? Is it about Hebrew slavery or about Exodus? It is? Okay. 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 If not, if not, I'll be happy to talk to you afterwards. I just know there's going to be stuff we want to cover. Okay. Great. Got it. Cool. This one's about Joseph who got sla- um, sold into slavery by yeah. his ten brothers. Yeah. And he didn't get to say goodbye to his father and his mother. And then he got um, put his brother Judah into um, prison. Um, That part I kind of had a hard time understanding. Can you explain it to me? I'll give you a fuller explanation afterwards. The short version, Joseph's, this is significant. What Joseph's brothers do to him is would, would warrant them all for the death penalty, um, according to the law of Moses. And that's one thing I really want to highlight is anything like that is absolutely, you, you kill all the people involved. So Joseph's brothers all right there, boom. Now, the law hasn't been given yet, so they're not, on, they're not aware of that, but that's the severity of their crime. The, Joseph, when he reaches into power, his brothers come I down. The I was getting to okay. was, yeah. I was wondering, is the law was made then? I no. was wondering. No, no. The law, the law comes about 400 years later. Um, more than that, even. The law, you know, about 400 years later. So, so Joseph is the beginning of their time in, his, in Egypt, and about 400 years later, God raises up Moses, they leave, and then they get the law. So Joseph would be about 400 years before Moses. Piggybacking off that, yeah. it just goes to um, offer a question. Um, what you're talking about, the man-stealing, yeah. is more in line with our modern-day conception yeah. of slavery. Yeah. It's important to know that was not the case for all of history right. and that that was a very severe offense. The idea that someone could just be like captured and taken away, that's more in line with the last few hundred years of history yeah. Yeah. and was v- viewed severely back then as yes. we view it severely now. Not a picture for most, for all slaves. Yeah, yeah. one of the things to keep in mind is apart from man-stealing, which is absolutely... Fr- the New Testament even addresses that. Go to First Timothy 1. Um, this isn't something only the Old Testament speaks to. Um, <clears throat> so, in First Timothy one, speaking about the use of the law, where is it? Um, there it is. Yeah. Okay. Verse twelve. <clears throat> um, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. No, that's not it. So, where is it? Eight. Okay, thank you, Linda. Okay, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, the Greek would be man-stealers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. 
So there's even a New Testament confirmation. This is wicked. Um, so apart from that, the two primary ways you would become a slave would be, and I think both of them make sense as, as some sort of grace, you're defeated on the battlefield. We could righteously put you all to death. Will you come serve us instead? Right? I mean, and, and a bunch of guys like, yeah, I would rather do that than have you strike me down. So deal. Um, or I'm so poor I'm going to starve. And part of the benefit, because there isn't a, a social welfare state or system, if I become your servant, you're going to feed me and clothe me and care for me. So in Egypt, gladly begs, go to, go to Genesis um, no, 40, 42. I was just looking at this this week. Fascinating. Um, the, the Egyptians, like, beg, make us your slaves. Why should we starve? Um, after uh, the, fa- the plague, the famine comes. Plague, sorry. It's 40, where is it? 10 points to whoever finds it. Um... It's midway through the story of Joseph's brothers. That's why it's... it's um, 42 is when they sell all their property of their animals. There's a second phase where they come back and actually make them um, their slaves. Hold on. Um, what? Is it 43? Um, um, hold on. Yeah, no, it's 47. There it is. That's why I highlight things. I thought I highlighted it, and I did. Okay. Um, So 47, starting in verse 13. Now, there was no food at all in the land, for the famine was very severe. So the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by the reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, and in exchange for the grain that they had bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house, and when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, and all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for their horses, flocks, herds, and donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent, the herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, we both and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants of Pharaoh and give us seed that may live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. So they're completely in favor of this transaction. They're, they're the initi- they initiate it, right? They, they come up with this idea. And so the law allowing for that as well, I think, is a grace. Uh, it's, a, it's a way out for somebody who's absolutely ruined financially. And especially under, I mean, um, I was reading one pastor who commented it's kind of like a, a declaring bankruptcy. You, you attach yourself for six years to someone, and you're treated with gentleness. You're, when you leave, you're furnished with liberally, and it's almost like you have to reset your life. You, know, you, you completely got bankrupt. You ran out of stuff. You're in debt. You sell yourself to this person. You, you serve them. You work for them potentially learn even a trade, and when you leave, you get sent out well-furnished. I think that's, I, I think that's a good thing. I think that would be a good scenario. I, I, 
I, you know, in, the, in that sense, it's kind of like an indentured servant or even an apprentice or even uh, an intern, right? I mean, the, the major difference is in our culture, we so value our freedom and autonomy, we, we would never want to give up our autonomy. And so even though it's a temporary relationship, make no mistake, during those six years, you do what you're told, and you're, you're under a foreign will. That's where the notion of slave does hold true, the notion that you, you've surrendered your autonomy, you've surrendered your freedom, you've surrendered your rights to do and choose what you want to do. Um, so, okay. Greg? It strikes me that that's a much better plan than we have today that uh, then after the six years, whoever is, has done that has earned his freedom, yeah. has earned his sustenance throughout that period of time, uh, earned perhaps the furnishings that he has sent away with rather than just said, hey, right. give it to me. Right. Uh, and so the notion of your <clears throat> positive or proper self-esteem, the notion of accomplishment is there, uh, even though you were a slave for six years. It's not there the way we do it today, it would seem, uh, much to the detriment of the the receiver. Right. Right. No, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, think about it. Today, you took somebody who had no skills, who had nothing. We're going to attach you to this household. You're going to, he's going to give you a room, he's going to give you food, and you're going to work in his shop or factory, and he's going to train you, and in six years, you're going to leave with enough money to buy a car, get a down deposit on a house or something, and you'll know a trade. That sounds, especially if the guy's just and good, sounds like a great deal. Um, so, yeah, things like that would be where you've got skin in the game, you're doing something, you're saying, I, I got nothing, I'm, I'm in trouble, help. I mean, it's still not something you're just sort of signing up for. It's always you become poor, you become um, desperate. But, yeah, it, it seems like a much better scenario than what other cultures and, and, and legislators have come up with. Jeremy. I'm curious uh, if we know from the Bible, you know, we talked about this morning how owning slaves can be a godly thing. Godly people could own slaves. Sorry. That's the, yeah, the, the Bible doesn't say it's good. Nowhere right. is it, like, commended. Right. Right. No, absolutely. I, I'm yeah, curious yeah. if we know from the Bible how, how much the slave owners followed the plan of how they're supposed to treat their slaves. I think of a couple things. Um, uh, there's in the passage we read this morning, it talks about, or one of the passages, it talks about how you can react to your, your, uh, a wicked slave owner who beats uh-huh. you. Um, if you re- respond with kindness, then that's, then it's a uh, grace. Also, I think of like the prodigal son who, I mean, he, he became a slave at some point, did well, he not? His plan was to say to his father, take me back as a slave. That was his whole plan. Well, I, was, I was even yeah. thinking about when he, was, when he was separate. He was, I thought he became a slave for like a, a swine lord or something like that. Swine and, lord. <laughs> and he was like eating out of their troughs and stuff like that. I, I'm, I'm sorry. A, Jeremy, swine lord is not going away. That's, no, that's I, too good. That is too good. I'm, I'm ordering a city the bumper person. sticker right now. I don't know um, much about the country folk things. <laughs> but I was just thinking about, I mean, he was clearly not treated well right. there in that situation, eating out of the troughs. And, and also, he wasn't kept from fleeing back home. So maybe that wasn't quite the same sort of deal. But Right. 
Well, that's now we're switching into New Testament times. Part of what's part of what's interesting with New Testament times, there seems to be a lot of variety. So you've got you've got the potential in Jesus' parable of a master could cut you into pieces. And if you then the very next parable, the what slave who knew his master's will and didn't do it will desire, just will deserve a severe beating. The slave who did not know his master's will and did not do it a light beating. So we're talking about beatings lashings being cut into pieces, First Peter. So on the one hand, there is absolutely present the potential for severe brutality, no question. That said, there's also, and different from what we may be thinking, you could be the head of a household, a manager. You, and this is more stuff I got from extra biblical sources, but um, apparently the slaves of, of dignitaries would dress in the same type of clothing as, like, you... You could not in any way, shape, or form by looking at how someone dresses figure out whether they're a slave or not. Um, household tutors, same thing. I mean, and could you think of it from a tutor? You want to be attached to a household. You want room and board. I'm going to train your kids and teach them. It, the, I didn't get to it this morning, but the fact that this is part of the household code indicates we're dealing with people who are part of households, which is another reason why I think he doesn't deal with just like employers and you know day laborers. These are people in households. So part of being part of someone's slave may very well be being part of their household and getting additional benefits as well. So on the one end of the spectrum, this could be really, really rough. And extra biblically, we know that some masters crucified their slaves. There's one account I was reading about a, uh, a slave who accidentally killed a pet peacock, got crucified by his master. And legally, no repercussions. So, yeah, absolutely on the table is huge barbarous brutality, wicked treatment. And yet, the centurion who's weeping and pleading for his servant. And yet, we've got stewards and household managers and the Ethiopian eunuch who has so much freedom and honor that he's got a chariot. To own a scroll of Isaiah, that's not cheap. He's able to go to Jerusalem for a feast because his queen gives him space to do that. So this, on the one hand, huge brutality. On the other hand, a lot more social movement and the fact that you still don't have a permanent lifelong type of slavery in evidence. Because part of, the, part of our sin and our guilt is this, once you identify a group as just their slaves, then they're slaves always and forever. It's still understood slavery was a situation you entered into for a reason. You were captured in military, you sold yourself in, you, whatever. And there also were exit categories. Part of what makes our, our history so pernicious is because it was race-based, the mentality was simply by virtue of being the race you are, you are, and your status is, slave. And then all sorts of dehumanization and all sorts of bigotry and self-righteousness is much more able to be produced when you have that than when you might be in some respect have more honor than me in the in the community you might be a doctor attached to a household and you're a slave and you may dress better than me and you may have more liberty than me and you're still the property of someone's household that's entirely possible from what we understand about the roman empire so it's a much more diverse place and and the reason why I'm trying to stress both is some commentators trying to sanitize Paul's instructions want to make Roman slavery look picturesque and happy. And at places and at times it could be, no doubt. And I'm just trying to highlight, and it could be horrific. 
It's going to depend on who your master is. It's going to depend on how long your, your time is. Apparently, seven years is a pretty common period of time. People would do it frequently, apparently, to raise the money to buy citizenship or to attach themselves to a dignitary. And then there are other people who are like galley slaves who are most likely just prisoners of war because Rome did a lot of warring. And so they were getting lots and lots of, of galley slaves that way. And we know that like with the revolt under Spartacus, that clearly there they, were being, they thought they were being mistreated and sorely used. So um, what I'm mainly trying to say is Rome has a huge diversity and, and people are entering and people are leaving and people are different social statuses. And yeah, I think it gets as ugly and as bad as anything we have in, in the antebellum South. And yet it wasn't consistently and always that. Does that make that's what I'm trying to communicate. Okay, who's who's yes? I have a question because yeah. I've never had anybody like bring up slavery in the Bible. Typically, it's mostly because my mom's from the South, ah. so they'll be critical of the South yeah. with while overlooking human trafficking. Yeah. Um, we have friends that are missionaries over in Hong Kong that deal with the domestic helpers that are trying to buy, in a sense, freedom. Right. Um, or, you know, in some countries, women are considered being owned. Um, but I'm just kind of curious, when people have that argument, do they not see themselves as <laughs> a slave? I mean, because in a sense, Northwest Bank owns me. I signed a form when I started with right. them. I do put in time for them. They pay me. Um, okay. Well, Dan, I was talking with Daniel. You think about you want to think about some other modern institutions that are close to slavery, where you've given up your rights and your freedom. Once you sign a contract with a professional sports team, you're not free to play for anybody else. Your only access to that that arena is with that team. And if you decide you don't want to play, you won't play at all while your contract is still in vogue. Or, or you'd have some buyout buy clause, mm-hmm. or you could buy your freedom from that. I mean. I would say as well, um, people in jail, are. you could make an argument they're really close to slaves. In that, they have no autonomy, they have no freedom, and they have no right to claim the fruit of their labor, right? Um, now, they do have other rights, right? But um, I think that's part of the logic of why Paul can say children are almost like slaves. Why? I can tell my children to go where I please. I can give them the work that I have for them to do, and they don't have a right to demand payment, and they're not free to just say, you know, I, I, I'm going to go move to a different house now, at least not in their, your youth, right? And so to that degree, Paul's saying that the, the household slave and the household child, very little difference. And practically speaking, for the manager of the household, there isn't. I'm going to send Abner out to do this chore. I'm going to send this person out to do this chore. I'm going to send this person out to this chore. and everyone come back for lunch at one, right? The, my governance, my oversight, if I were Philemon, would not look terribly different for my children while they were young and not men and grown and independent. And whatever staff or slaves or servants I would have had if I was, I'm uncomfortable saying I, that Philemon would have had, um, would look identical, right? I mean, you're directing, you're managing your household. And so Paul can say, yeah, practically speaking, there's really not much difference. Lee. Also, um, to become an electrician, if you're in the union program, you mm-hmm. sign an indentured mm-hmm. 
agreement that you legally give up many rights. You can't just go work for anybody. You can't have your own business. And if you want to leave that, you got to buy your way out. You owe yeah. the money. Well, there's a, yeah. There's a, redemption, there's a redemption price. It's hard to get out, yeah. And yeah. and it's a yeah. limited program, yeah. and you know that you're going to get a reward for being in it, but it's right. definitely you're giving up a lot of rights. Absolutely. Yeah. So to varying degrees, we don't have anything in our culture that's identical, but we do have plenty of relationships in our culture that have a significant amount of overlap. And so that's where I'm going to argue from the greater to the lesser. If this is true of ultimate obligation, then to whatever degree you're obligated, to whatever degree you're under authority, this is true for you as well. Um, yeah. Okay, Jake. Um, a, connection, oh. a connection with what Marion said. Yeah. Um, it might be helpful to consider that we in the West, Americans in particular, greatly um, overestimate our own freedoms. What we know from the New Testament, what it teaches us is that you cannot serve two masters. But I think the implication there, if you read through that, is you're going to be serving something. Yeah. You're, and I, I think that part of the reason, like you said, this is so abhorrent to us, is we view ourselves as free. You know what I mean? You wake up in yeah. the morning, your feet hit the floor, I'm free. And I think that's a harmful and wrong way to view ourselves because if you're a Christian you're not free like you touched on we're slaves of Christ well well, we are let me clarify we're, the Bible says we're free we're not free agents exactly we're not we're not exactly what's the term for someone who's not signed to a team is that free agent is that the term yeah it's a sports thing so yeah. I don't know um, that's not who we are we are free from sin we're free in regards to to yes. all those things but it's not like we get up and say hey, I wonder whether I want to go serve God today or sin today. No. I mean, sadly, the reality is we do kind of do that, and Paul's trying to highlight how perverse And that's why that it's is. harmful. Right. But the reality is, I mean, you were bought with a price is slave language. It's slave market language. And to, to have a Lord, and, and this, this is part of the why, I mean, I thought MacArthur's book very helpful. We've... By being embarrassed of this category, partly because we want to be sensitive, partly because our history does bring in aspects of the term slave that are not inherent to it. There may be situations specific to it. But given, and we'll see this more next week, given the, um, the numerous places where this is an identifying category, and it's not the only identifying category. Son, or the bride of Christ, um, we're, we're friends. Jesus calls us his friends. Um, but slave, slave of God, slave of Christ, is such a major category. And I think it really is absent from most Western Christianity. I mean, if I were to ask somebody who's a Christian, do you see yourself as a slave? I think they'd probably say, no. Whereas in the first, the church, they're like, absolutely. I'm a slave of God. Um, that is going to affect how you act. Whether you view yourself as a free agent or whether you view yourself under... I remember my wife and I used to go on prayer walks um, towards the end of her pregnancy when we were living in Martinsville with Abner. And I remember distinctly for a week or two, we'd walk up and down the frozen bike path. And I found for myself that so much of... I don't know if I'd call it sin, but maybe it isn't faithless. I would wake up and it would take me four or five hours to remember I'm someone else's I'm under authority. That's a finer point on exactly what I was saying. And that's, so I thought it would be really... It. So we would get up in the morning and we would confess, Lord, you have bought us. We are yours. We are your slaves. We are under your will. 
And I would feel ashamed, not that I was doing wicked things, but I was living like a free agent. I was living like, what does Jeremy want to do? Well, Jeremy wants to do this, and Jeremy's going to drink some coffee, and Jeremy's going to do that. Instead of, I have a master, what is his will? And sometimes it would take me like to lunchtime to remember, oh yeah. And I was trying to start the day reminding myself. I mean, Jesus' statement, when you have done all that is required of you, you are to say, we are only unworthy slaves, we have only done our duty. I mean, good grief, I want a cookie if I just, you know, was patient at the stoplight. You know, I mean, right? See that, Lord? I didn't get mad. Didn't honk my horn at that person that I wanted to honk my horn at. Huh? You blessed me today now, right? Because I'm a it alters our behavior and it alters our expectations. There, right. Okay. We're at time, folks. Thank you. God bless.